I know some of you are wondering, have they lost their ever-loving minds? Now, let me tell you why we're talking, opening up this new series called Suited with Sharp-Dressed Man. Some of you are probably like, I wonder if I should be offended or not. Because all these years, I've never heard ZZ Top in church. Uh, let me just say that I checked every one of the, all three verses, we only did one, and none of the verses have anything vulgar or improper. The reason we're doing this is because we just want a fun way to show you that God wants to suit us, and this doesn't mean the dress code is changing at victory. I'm not laying down the jeans, and everybody's going to have to come in a silk shirt, black tie, you know, to use the words. But we're actually talking about the armor of God in this series that we want to do today. And let me just say, uh, I wanted to put about three mannequins on the platform, one in a football uniform, one in a suit like that. And I could only get one mannequin. So if any of you have one in your closet at home, that's a joke. Um, if you know where I can get a couple more, I'd like to have them for this series. Because the whole point is, is that we're supposed to be suited properly for the mission that God has us on. If you're a fireman, you have a suit. If you're a policeman, you wear a uniform, a suit. And so uh, as a Christian, we're not talking about a literally prescribed costume. This is a theater costume. It's not a real Roman Nothing's real metal. It's just plastic molded. But I, I wanted to be able to have a fun way just to get your attention and go that God really wants to dress you up in a sharp way so that you'll be prepared for what is in front of you. Can somebody say amen? Okay, so today, um, I, if some of you, maybe now you might go, okay, I, I sort of see it, but I'm still kind of wondering. I may be a little offended. Let me just give you a real quick about 30 seconds of history. Psalm 8, Psalm 81, Psalm 84. David wrote to the God of the children of Israel, to Yahweh. But he, the scripture says, upon Giddeth. It's, it's a superscription, which literally means from Gath, or the winepress, which was a Hittite city, okay? And it was very common, numerous times David took a top 40 Hittite tune and he rewrote words that magnified the God of the people of Israel, but he did it to a tune that everybody was familiar with. This is not uncommon in history. Martin Luther did songs that the church during the Reformation worshipped to because they were commonly sung in the pubs. This is something that everybody knew and heard and understood. Uh, every move of God in history has always had a fresh word that God was bringing to bring a realization to the body of Christ. And with every fresh prophetic word, there's always been a new musical sound. Now, because we've not been trained, you've not been taught this, you think that all those great 
uh, evangelical hymns, Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing our great Redeemer's praise, written by Charles Wesley, brother of John Wesley, the great Methodist preacher. You think those are what religious songs are supposed to sound like, but you don't realize that that was actually the sound common in the day. They were actually writing very contemporary sounds. And it's a hoot to me sometimes how folks have the idea that the devil uses a different set of chords than, than believers do. You know, an, an F major 7 is the same whether you, or whether you know Jesus or whether you are a heathen. Literally. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And so it's like uh, what we've just done is just redeemed. We've taken something that the enemy tries to pervert because I truly believe, listen to this, I believe that every gift on the planet that's been given to people, whether it's visual arts, whether it's poetry or writing or novelists or whether it's someone who can write music to songs that moves the hearts of people or cause, uh, causes a nation to come to its knees and to say that Jesus Christ is Lord. I believe that every musical, artistic gift that comes from God is a gift from God and some people use it to advance the kingdom. Others use it to glorify the enemy. Now, I don't know what you think about our use of this this morning, but we are doing what the Scripture says. We are taking all things and making them new. We are redeeming this for the purpose of the kingdom of God because God wants you to be a sharp-dressed man in the kingdom. Are you hearing me? We want to be suited. Now, maybe that makes a little bit of sense, and I really, truly don't want to offend anybody, uh, but I just want to make sure that you understood why we're doing that. We're not going to do it every Sunday, but we just wanted to kick the series off. And this morning we are ending uh, the series on the whole book of Ephesians called Built. And we're starting the new series on Ephesians 6. We're going to spend eight weeks in Ephesians chapter 6 in this message called Suited. So we're going to actually take apart the armor that is behind me back here. I'm not going to use this chair, so I'm going to pull it back over so everyone can see the, see the Romans uh, uniform. We'll talk about the shield of faith and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God We'll talk about the breastplate of righteousness, the girdle of truth, the helmet of salvation, shoes of peace. If anybody has some Roman sandals in the closet at home, I need them because we need to be able to preach from these things. Because the Apostle Paul was actually describing what the guys that were chained to him, he was under house arrest in Rome. You'll read that in Acts 27, 26, 27, 28, the close of the, the book of Acts. And he's waiting to go on trial before Caesar. And this is where he writes what we call the prison epistles. He writes Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and the little book of Philemon, a little one-chapter book uh, to an individual by the name of Philemon. So he writes the prison epistles. He's literally sitting there, and he's describing what these soldiers have on. And he talks about the helmet of salvation, which is related to the mind of Christ. Okay, He talks about the breastplate of righteousness. And I don't want to get ahead of myself. I want to keep mindful of my time a little bit in this second service because usually I can kind of, I sort of get a little relaxed and have a tendency to go a little bit too long. And so without taking these different pieces of equipment apart, we're going to be spending one week on each one of these pieces of equipment uh, over the next eight weeks. So today... We are built for battle. That's God's army. And that's the number seven as we close built. And it's number one and suited for battle. Okay? So if you would stand with me one more time, please. We want to read our last time we're going to read the built text. Because we've been built together as the temple. We've been built according to purpose uh, as the family of God. We've been built for maturity as the body of Christ. We've been built for holiness 
as the bride of Christ built for relationship, the people of God, all of these things that we've talked about. So today let's grab it together. Here we go. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Now that's the last time we'll read that. I hope you've memorized that, have it in your scripture toolbox by now. And we've got one more text. Now this is the one we're going to be launching into this next eight weeks on the armor of God on this suited series. Here we go. Let's read it together. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. One more verse. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Let's pray together. Gracious God, thank you for the privilege of standing before these wonderful people this morning. We're hungry for you. We acknowledge that we need you. Lord, I say it regularly, and I mean it again today, I I remind myself that I cannot do anything apart from you. Thank you today, Jesus, that through you I can do what you've called me to do, through Christ who gives me strength. God, we ask today for your Holy Spirit to open our eyes to see and our ears to hear. We'll be careful to give you the praise in this place. You be the teacher, Spirit of God. You know the intimate details, the struggles, the temptations, the disappointments, the triumphs, and the victories of the people of this room. And God, you personally can weave, Holy Spirit, a message that is tailor-made for every individual person in this place. Let your voice overpower my voice and let your people hear it today in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. amen. You may be seated this morning in the presence of the Lord. We've been built together. We've talked about the first three chapters of Ephesians where the Apostle Paul laid out for us these amazing truths of the wealth of the believer. Ephesus was the bank of Asia. It was the location of the wealth of all of that whole uh, Middle uh, Eastern uh, Mediterranean side of those Arab nations. They were hiding and holding on deposit their funds in uh, the city. It was a banking city. And so when Paul wrote to Ephesus, he used a lot of economic terms. He talked about riches and inheritances and uh, guarantees and Uh, earnest money. We think about when we buy a house, we put up earnest money. And the scripture says that the spirit is the earnest of our inheritance. Ephesians 1, 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has, past tense, blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. So he's done this amazing thing of lifting us into the heavenlies. A number of authors call it the, the Alps of the New Testament. One calls it the Grand Canyon of Scripture. And we've taken the last seven weeks, concluding today, and we've done an airplane flight over the amazing truth. There are depths of this that we've not even begun to plumb because of the time that it would take to do that. So we're going to actually land the plane today and not just get into a car and drive through the Rockies or through the Grand Canyon of Scripture, but we're actually going to get out and walk some trails. We're going to climb some fronts, some of the faces of the mountains, especially as we talk about being prepared for a battle. Because the Apostle Paul gave the believer a thorough understanding of the wealth that has been given to you in Christ. Everybody say, in Christ. In Christ denotes a relationship. In Christ is your identification now. The scripture says there are only two men in the earth, 1 Corinthians 15, in Adam all die, in Christ all are made alive. And so we need to recognize this morning that you're in one of two camps. Either either you're in Adam and death and sin and darkness, uh, bondage reign in your life, or now you're in Christ, a new creation, and light and love 
No longer are you a slave, but now you're a son, and you have a new relationship out of which you live, a new identification. You are in Christ, no longer in Adam, but now in Christ. You're not dead, but now you're alive. You can't be both at the same time. You can't be dead and alive at the same time. You're either dead or you're alive. And so in Christ now you're alive. You're alive by faith. You, you, you're filled with the Holy Spirit. It's the, the, the Spirit of God, the love of God shed and abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, the Bible says. And so Paul, for three chapters, has hung us in the heavenlies. We were dead in trespasses and sins, but by grace through faith, he has raised us up and made us alive together in Christ, and he made us sit down in heavenly places. So we're living from a heavenly perspective. We're living above our circumstances. We're not chicken little in the barnyard running around screaming, the sky is falling, the sky is falling. No, God has called us to be eagle Christians that soar above the storms that cripple the chickens in the barnyard. The same thing that destroys earthboundness lifts the heavenly bird up above it. Okay, so it's just locking your wings into place and letting the storms and the tumult that will destroy everything that is on the earth pecking around going, the sky is falling, the sky is falling. The end is near. But no, the eagle Christian rises up above it. And so Paul hangs us in the heavens for three chapters showing us the wealth of the believer. And then he switches gears, chapter 4, 5, and the first nine verses of chapter 6. And he talks about the walk of the Christian. Everybody say, walk this way. Not going back to re-preach this, but he says that we should walk in a manner worthy of our calling. We should walk in love. We should walk in light. We should walk in wisdom. We should walk in the spirit. We should walk in submission. It's not about the stance, whether you're pigeon-toed or whether you're wide-footed. It's not about how, how long your gait is, but it's about your behavior. The walk of the Christian is how you behave, what comes out of your mouth, how you respond, how you react to circumstances. Uh, what you allow to be part of your thinking in your mind because what is in here will eventually come out of here. You wonder what the contents of a person's heart is? Shut up long enough because out of the abundance of the mouth, the what? The heart speaks. Listen. Listen to what people are saying. They will reveal the contents of their hearts. Okay? So we learn now that Christ is dwelling in our hearts by faith, we should have a new language. Our speech should be seasoned with salt so that we minister grace to those who hear us. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, building up, that it may minister grace to the hearers. So we've rolled through the wealth of the believer. We've seen what it's like to walk as a believer. And Paul the Apostle now rolls into this section with this important word, finally, before I jump into my notes, I have one thing that I want to give you this morning. Beautiful. I want you to read it out loud with me here. Here we go. A very real battle with a powerful enemy is being waged in the heavenlies. The church is God's occupational force to advance heaven into enemy territory. Now, I know that's a paragraph, but I want you to read it out loud again because I want this to sink in. Come on, here we go. A very real battle with a powerful enemy is being waged in the heavenlies. That's presently right now. The church is God's occupational force to advance heaven into enemy territory. As we begin this series this morning on suited, I find it interesting, because we didn't plan it this way, it just hit me, because I'm a history person, that yesterday, June the 6th, 71 years ago, the Allied forces, under the direction of General Dwight D. Eisenhower, with United States, with Great Britain, with France, with Russia, 
all together united their forces and we invaded Normandy, France, which had been taken and occupied by the Nazi forces with this evil spreading out over all of Western Europe. It was the threat of Hitler. It was Hitler's Nazism. It was Mussolini's fascism. And so all of the world was aghast at the evil that was being conducted in the name of prophetic and biblical terms because Hitler was preaching a vision of a new millennium where he saw himself as the Christ of God. He was a despot. He was a tyrant. He was a crazy, maniacal man and that finally God took down. But it took the unification of forces together on this amazing day called D-Day. It was called Operation Overlord. And if you know a little bit about history, a crazy weather phenomenon happened that day. And that is out of a, a day where it was predicted to be a clear blue sky, all of a sudden, unexpectedly, a thick, dense fog rolled in over all of Omaha Beach. And it lasted long enough for all of the paratroopers to drop out of their planes and land on the beach to catch by surprise the German forces. My dad, Grady Smith, was a part of that invasion. Operation Neptune from the sea, Operation Overlord into, and then it became known as what was known as the Battle of Normandy. And that was the turning point in the war in destroying the power of Hitler under Dwight D. Eisenhower. And so this morning we remember, we recognize 71 years ago yesterday, and that in, the, in this we still have a very real battle, battle against evil. And it's not people, it's not a nation, it's not... Uh, necessarily a group, even a, a necessarily a terrorist group, but we're going to really identify who the main arch enemy, the main terrorist is in all of history. Are you ready this morning? All right, so here we go. We're rolling now. Our first word is found in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. King James says it this way, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of of his might, okay? I, I, I love all this, and before we really dig into the Greek here a little bit, we just want to grab the first word, finally. This Paul the Apostle, I, I love how he thinks, I love how he writes. Um, sometimes Paul would say, finally, and he would write two more chapters. <laughs> and, and, and some of you are probably thinking, Pastor Michael, you and Paul must have been of the same tribe, because <laughs> once in a while you'll say in conclusion, and 20 minutes later we'll still be looking at you. Paul, Paul said in Philippians 3, he said, finally, my brothers, and then he turned around and wrote two more chapters. So, uh, you know, it's just by the Holy Spirit. And so Paul is saying not finally that this is the last in the sequence of things I wanted to say, but he's saying finally as in this is what I've been trying to bring you to. This is the ultimate focus because you have some wealth in Christ and you have a new walk that you're supposed to be behaving, depicting, living out of. And he said, now I want you to not only know about the wealth of the believer or the walk of the believer, but we're going to talk about the warfare of the believer. Everybody say warfare. So we have very real, very spiritual warfare. Very real battle is being waged with a very powerful enemy in the heavenlies. And the church is God's occupational force to advance heaven into enemy territory. Okay, so finally he's saying, guys, we bring this thing to this culmination point, to this climax it's all about this. God's given you wealth. He's given you a walk because you have to be equipped to accomplish something. You are called on a mission, and that's to remove enemy governments 
from their places of authority over the world, over the earth, and even sometimes over the people of God. He says in order to do this, you have to find your strength. My second point is the source of our strength. Everybody say source. So the source is the wellspring. It's it's where we go to get our empowerment. Popeye had his cans of spinach and his forearms would just bulge. And he's ready to whoop anything in his place. Superman needed a phone booth and he had to rip off the Clark Kent well sharp dressed man suit that he had on and reveal the, the, the new creation superhero in Christ, so to speak, if you'll let me make some analogies this morning. Whatever kind of person that you like, if it's, if it's Iron Man in his suit or if it's any of the, those Marvel Comics figures, and let me just say that I went to see that last one by myself because my wife said I am not at all interested in all of that, that boy stuff where y'all like things that blow up and things that drive fast, and, and, and so I had to go see that one by myself, but I, I, I love the, just the typical superhero idea because sometimes one person can make a huge difference. One person who makes up his mind or her mind, okay? And by the way, let me just remind you that when we sing about everyone loves a sharp-dressed man, we're not just talking about guys. We're talking about the new creation man. As ladies, you are called a new man in Christ, okay? Just like men are called the bride of Christ in this collective body, okay? We're not talking gender. God made Adam, and the Bible says He made them. He made Adam, and He made them male and female, And so we're talking about all of this expression. God wants you suited. He wants you suitably dressed for the mission that you're going on. And so finally he says, be strong in the Lord and in the power or the strength of his might. A couple of things quickly from these words, the word strong. Finally, be strong. Literally comes from the word dunamis. It's it's in dynamo. It's the idea of literally dynamitizing. It's, it's, uh, it's dynamics. It is dynamite. It is power producing dynamo. It's the Spirit of the Lord on the inside of you saying, I am empowering you. I'm filling you for the purpose of the mission to which you've been called. It says, be strong, dunamis, in the Lord and in the strength, kratos. The word strength literally is the word government. Kratos is the Greek word where we see democracy, krasi, C-R-A-C-Y. It's the exact same idea. It's the government of demos, the government by the people. Theocracy is the government of God, okay? A meritocracy is the government of those who've earned and they get a reward. The kingdom of God is not a meritocracy because you don't earn anything. God gives it to you as a free gift. Come on, somebody. Are you hearing me? So he's basically saying be strong, in the dynamite-producing power of God and in the strength in the government of God because you have the kingdom of God on your side. Look at your neighbor and say, we're on the right side. See, it's not about who is on, who, whose side is the Lord on. It's, on. it's whether or not you're on the Lord's side. That's the issue. And so we want to recognize that we have the government of God backing us. Next, look at this. The Bible says in the scripture that I have there in your notes, Proverbs 21, 31, the horse is made ready for battle made ready for the day of battle, but the victory belongs to the Lord. That means that you can do everything in your own power to get ready, but ultimately it's God who's going to win the battle for you and through you. Look at your neighbor and say, the battle belongs to the Lord. All right, point number three. Let's move. Preparation, protection, and purpose. Preparation, protection, and purpose. Verse 11 says, put on the whole armor of God, 
that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Now, notice it says the whole armor of God. We've got a helmet to protect the mind. We've got a breastplate to protect the necessary vital organs, your heart, your stomach, your lungs, your liver. You pierce any one of those, you're dead. So you have to be covered by the righteousness of Christ. You're walking in the awareness that you're in right standing with God. All of this is held together by a girdle of truth, by a belt of truth, and you're walking in some shoes of peace. Even though you're stepping into battle, you're walking in peace knowing that God's already won the battle for you. Okay, You've got a shield of faith that you quench all the fiery darts of the evil one with and you don't just protect yourself and go on the defensive but you take the sword of the Spirit and you step across the battle line and you hack the head of the enemy off. Now, this is important. Everybody say the whole armor. Too many times Christians are suited up partly. They're partially dressed. Maybe they're aware of faith. They've, they've been uh, of the part of the faith movement, and so it's all about the shield of faith. And everything they're interested in is all about faith. Or maybe they've been in, in a good Bible-centered church, and it's all about the sword of the Spirit. And they do sword drills and memorize verses. And every one of those things are great. But if you're not suited in the whole armor, you're not ready to encounter the enemy who will take you out in the area where you're not covered. Because if you don't have on the helmet of salvation, which is the mind of Christ that you're allowing to be in your life, then guess what? The enemy will attack you in your thought life. You have a choice what you think of. You can't help it that something enters your mind. My, my granddad taught me this, and I thought he was so smart. Then I realized he was quoting Martin Luther, the great reformer. He said, son, you can't help it if a bird flies over your head, but you can keep it from building a nest in your hair. What does that mean? Thoughts come and you can, you, can, you can change the channel in your mind. If you start to meditate on something, that PYT that walks by, come on, we're men, we're attracted to beautiful things, but you know, it doesn't mean you have to take the second and the third and the fourth look. That's where the sin starts. But you cast down that imagination. We'll talk about that a little more specifically when we start to deal with the helmet of salvation. We're, we're, we're demanding that our mind comes in line with the Word and what the mind of Christ says. And so we want to be dressed in the whole armor. It's not like the enemy just all of a sudden rings your doorbell and you get to the door uh, out of the shower halfway covered by your towel or you're, you're, you're trying to partially make sure that you're covered up. Come on, how many we have to be dressed for battle? Look at your neighbor and say, get suited for battle. And so we don't, we don't want to be partly covered. It's not just get part of the armor or the favorite parts you like. Well, I really like the teaching of righteousness. Well, I, I love truth and I'm a defender of truth. And man, usually when people have that attitude, everybody around you knows it too. Well, I have to have faith. Well, you know what? We need every one of these parts of the armor. We need all of this together because the Bible says put on the whole armor of God. Remember in Ephesians, we've talked about putting off the old man, the old nature, the old patterns of behavior, the old mentality, the old words, the old conversation. And we now step forward and put on Christ. We put on the new way of life and part of that new suit that we've got, our clean shirt and our new shoes and our silk suit and our, our black tie that we're getting suited because everyone's crazy about a sharp-dressed man, whether he's male or female, in the new creation. When we start to put this on, we want to put all of it on so that we can be protected and we can be suited for what God has called us to. Somebody say amen. amen. All right, next point. Let's roll. Put the, 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 no, I'm sorry. Let me go back. Let me grab this. I had this in your notes. Um, I was getting ahead of myself. Forgive me. It says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Greek word literally is methodeia. 
we get our English word method from it. Methodia, the schemes, of the, they're the tactics, they're the plots, uh, they're the evil ideas that the enemy is making an attempt to try to distract you from who you are, try to make you think that you're who you used to be, still dead in sin, in bondage and enslaved to sin instead of being in light. He tries to tell you you're still in darkness. Instead of being a son, he tries to tell you you're a slave. He tries to remind you of some old ways, some old patterns of behavior, some old haunts that you used to hang out at. Okay, Whatever these schemes are, these methods of the enemy, I have this in your notes. Satan's job description is found in John 10.10. If you don't know this, you should have this one committed to memory. The Bible says the thief comes but for to steal, kill, and what? Destroy. Everybody say, steal, kill, and destroy. Here we go. Steal, kill, destroy. That's, that's Satan's job description right there. Jesus said, but I have come that you might what? That you might have life and have it what? More abundantly, the King James says. The NIV says, have it to the fullest. So it means complete abundanza, complete abundance of the blessing of God, the wealth of the Lord, walking in it, enjoying in it, being joyful and praising God, filled with the Holy Spirit, filled with the spirit of submission, all of these things working and operating together for the glory of God in your life. Now the enemy comes to steal that, to rob your joy, to steal your peace, to make you worry, to make you doubt, keep you fearful, rob your faith, steal, kill, destroy. He is the abortionist of the seed of God from the beginning of the foundation of the world. He will do everything he can to try to wrangle you and wrestle you down from what you're hearing that's being injected faith and love and righteousness and truth and blessing and the strength of the Lord telling you right now, come on, you're strong in the Lord, be strong in the power of his might. And you'll walk out of here and he'll tell you, well, you know, that might work for some of those people, but that's not you. You're weak. That's how the enemy talks to you, okay? And so you have to be aware of his schemes, his, his MO, his, his modus operandi, Latin for his method of operation, is found in 1 John chapter 2, verse 16. It says that really the devil has no new tricks. It's the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. It's amazing how you read history. We can go back and talk about David and Bathsheba and how he was tempted, how Adam and Eve were tempted in the garden, how Jesus was tempted in the wilderness with the exact same stuff that everybody else in all of time and all of history and all of creation are tempted with, the Bible says, yet Jesus in all points was tempted yet without sin. He never missed it. He didn't bow his knee to temptation. So the, the scripture talks to us about these three things, the, the lust of the flesh. Those are passions. Every man, every woman in here who's lived long enough in past your teenage years, you know how your body can scream at you passions and lusts of the flesh and it's not new it's it's like how is it that we keep living history over and over and over again and political and governmental and community and artists and all of the pastors lord have mercy sometimes are the most offending ones that you turn on television and see that that guys run off with the secretary or or taking the money maybe it wasn't a woman but it was the money and just the nonsense that the enemy is able to lure people away from into away from their purpose uh, in the kingdom of God. Are you hearing what I'm saying this morning? It's passions, lust of the flesh. It's possessions, lust of the eyes. And it's position, the pride of life. Taught us in Bible school, it was the girls, the gold, and the glory. 
And every one of us in this room still are tempted with the same kind of stuff. As a matter of fact, I want you to write under those three headings, I have the words temptation and deception and accusation because those are the three elements that the enemy uses actively in your life. He is called the tempter in Matthew 4.3. Write it in. Matthew 4.3. The tempter came to Jesus and said, If you be the Son of God, then cause these stones to be made bread. Jesus was ending a 40-day fast, seeking the Father, preparing for His earthly ministry. And the enemy knew the weakest point he could hit him at was in his physical hunger. The enemy is aware many times of your struggle and he knows the chink in your armor. He knows where you're struggling. And a lot of times he knows it because we can't keep our mouth shut. Because let me just set it to the record straight right now. The devil is not omni-anything. He is a created fallen being who, is, who has limitations just like you do. The reason the enemy knows what he does is because in the kingdom of God there is a vast hierarchy of reconnaissance going on and demons report to principalities and powers above them and those re report literally to the Lord of darkness, to Satan himself. He's not omni-anything. He doesn't know everything. He's not omniscient like God the Father is. He's not omnipotent. He's not all-powerful like God the Father is. He's not omnipresent. He can't be everywhere at once like God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit can in every kind of way. And so he has to use what the scripture calls demonic forces, principalities and powers, spiritual rulers in high places, wickedness. We're going to talk about that in this very next verse. And so when he makes an attempt to try to steal, kill, or destroy through tempting you with possession, passion, or position, then the first thing he'll do is he'll tempt you. And you might be weak in an area and you might give in to it. Doesn't mean you've lost your salvation. You still have a relationship with the Father, but the first thing you need to do is get on your face and say, God, I'm sorry, I missed it. I, I, and call the sin what it is. Call it what it is. The Bible says if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But if you go back to that and a pattern is developed, a stronghold develops in your life, he starts to weave a web of deception around you saying, well, you know, you, 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 you serve God in all these kinds of ways and you need this. Or you know what, you need to go ahead and make this deal and put the cash under the table and don't report it on your taxes and don't tell the company about it because you've been working hard and your family deserves better than what you've been able to give them. And so he tries to, it may not be sex, it may be money, it may be a different kind of temptation or it may be uh, the temptation to influence a lot of different people through ungodly ways, manipulation or intimidation. And pastors have those same kinds of temptations, just like football players and like teachers and like firemen and policemen and business owners. Everybody, nobody in here is, is, is uh, exempt from this. Everybody in here faces the same stuff. I am rich in Christ. I have a walk that God is showing me how to walk but I also have a warfare that I better be aware of. There's a very real fight with a very powerful enemy going on in the heavenlies. And the church is God's occupational force to advance heaven into enemy territory. That's the one thing I want you to grasp this morning. Are you getting anything out of this? All right, two more points. One more. Here we go. Number four, know your enemy. Know who the enemy is. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 7, listen to this. Here we go. For we do not wrestle against 
flesh and blood. Notice how many times the word against is going to appear. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Rulers, RK. RK, we, we get the idea like an archbishop is a primary lead bishop. So RK, the spiritual rulers over a city. We're talking about de- demonic princes, okay, against the authorities. Greek word exousia, they have the executive authority under their dark lord, Satan, against the cosmic powers. That's the word Greek word cosmocrator. So it's, it's a governor of an area, a region in the cosmos and the order and the arrangement of things in the world. And all of these things we're wrestling against. Now, let me just pull this out of this unknown, mysterious Greek language and let me make it very plain for you this morning. Let me tell you what the dark spiritual forces of evil that we wrestle against in the Delta. You want to know what it is? It's this thing that I call Southern Churchianity. It's a bunch of religious nonsense that people have just sort of been able to, by osmosis, collect over the years with these same ideas that they think all of these different kinds of things in the Bible, you know, cleanliness is next to godliness. That's what the Bible says. Yeah, it's found in the book of Hesitations. (laughs) Or the Lord helps those who help themselves. And kids grow up thinking that's a Bible verse. Are Are you hearing what I'm... Are you picking up what I'm throwing down here? Okay, so we've got all these collective ideas that are completely extra-biblical. In other words, they're not found in Scripture whatsoever. And we just start to think that, well, because we're Americans and we like baseball and we drive a Chevrolet and we eat apple pie, then therefore I'm a Christian. And whether I go to church or not, you know, saying you're a Christian is about the same kind of thing as, you know, just going and sitting in your garage and saying you're a car. Doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Just because you put the door down and you sit in the middle of your garage doesn't make you a car. A Christian means Christ has come and taken His abode up in your life. And now, guess what? You're on the opposing side of the forces that are attempting to take over the place. And you have to stand up, take a stand, because the evil one is going to do all he can to tempt you, deceive you, or accuse you. So Revelation 12.9 says, The deceiver of nations... So he tempts you, he lures you in with the web, and then he deceives you. And then finally, when he's got you, he accuses you with the pharisaical finger of legalism. He says, look, see, you're not really a born-again believer because Christians don't do what you just did. And so he's already got you in a place of accusation. So he tempts, he deceives, he accuses. Know your enemy, though. Notice it says we don't don't wrestle against flesh and blood. I have a little note there under... Uh, your, your, in your message notes, it says the focus isn't people, but principalities and powers are the problem. The, the problem is not people. The problem is not the person that's sitting in the cubicle across from you that's competitive and is trying to knock you out of your promotion through her manipulation and her intimidation. The fact that she's trying to wrap the boss around her finger with her, with her web of deceit and lies... The whole point is, though sometimes the battle looks like a name and a face, really the real battle is if we would get on our knees and we would fight from this position and we would start to cry out and we would say, God, in the name of Jesus, I pray that you rip the scales of deception from that man's eyes who's attempting to destroy me at work. I believe that he can repent and change. 
I believe that you can save him and you can make him a believer and help him see that he's doing the wrong thing the wrong way. God, I'm not going to fight this battle. In the name of Jesus, you are going to fight my battles and I give it to you and I'm not going to try to manipulate or intimidate because I'm not fighting against flesh and blood, but in Jesus' name, I'm strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. And God, I thank You that You rip the blinders off of my boss and You let him or her see what's going on here, that this is a web of lies in the name of Jesus. And if we would fight our battles from here, there's a new Hillsong worship song that just came out last week. It says, I touch the sky when my knees hit the ground. I love it. If we would just remember the power that we have in prayer, we can do battle on our knees, dressed in this whole garb of the armor for the battle, that we can change the circumstances in the lives of the people that we pray for. That's why Jesus said, you know what? Everybody prays for your friends and your loved ones. I'm telling you, pray for your enemies and those who despitefully use you. What if we really just did what Jesus said do? Couldn't it be an amazing world that we live in? Oh, my gosh. All right, last one. Take a stand and withstand in the evil day. Take a stand and withstand in the evil day. Look at the verse of Scripture and I'm finished. It says, Therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand. So we're thinking of the, the concept of endurance. We're enduring in the evil day and having done all to stand firm, stand now, I'm going to quote another, quote, secular artist this morning as I end this because I think that this is a kingdom truth. Jeff Lynn and Tom Petty wrote the words to a song and said, You can stand me up at the gates of hell. Come on, finish it if you know it. But I won't back down. Sometimes Jesus said this way, The children of darkness are wiser than the children of light. Folks are tearing up churches and splitting churches and deacon boards are getting all torn up because people don't like the color of the carpet in a new building. And the nonsense that goes on in the Bible Belt South and we literally have been blinded from the whole effect of the enemy in our life. And let me just say this. The devil will never come to you in ugliness and crime and evil. You know, we've got this ridiculous idea that's the Halloween concept of the devil and it really, we have to lay it historically at the feet of the Roman Catholic Church because and, and when they did it, it really didn't make sense because they realized that Satan was filled with pride and because he has so much pride, they drew this caricature, this cartoonish idea of a horned goat-like creature with a pitchfork and a red union suit and a goatee kind of beard and a heinous laugh. And so the horns and the red face and the red suit that we normally uh, associate with the devil literally has nothing to do with him. It was an attempt by the Roman Catholic Church to make fun of him and take a stab at his pride. And unfortunately, that image or that caricature of, of Satan, of our enemy, the devil, has sort of endured through history. And now we laugh at it. Unfortunately, this truth about personal evil is really the touchstone as to whether or not any group or movement of people really stay true to a conservative, Bible-believing approach. Because it's very, very common for mainline denominations that 100 years ago did away with a personal devil. And so right on the, on the heels of that, they started to challenge whether Jesus was divine or not. 
And so all truth begins to crumble down to the ground. Let me just tell you, at Victory, we teach in a very, a very real enemy. His name is Satan, which means adversary. And he's not going to come to you dressed in a horn face and a red union suit and a pitchfork. As a matter of fact, 2 Corinthians chapter 10 tells us that he comes masquerading as an angel of light. He's going to tempt you with everything that is beautiful and luxurious and that is pleasurable and that is comfortable and that is alluring. And you know what? He might speak with a female voice. He might look like the PYT across the cubicle in the aisle where you work, sir. That, that may be how he's using her as a puppet to draw you, to allure you from, uh, away from the faithfulness, the fidelity that you made in the vows to your wife. And then he's broken another family. He's destroyed another relationship. Trust literally has been annihilated. Then you have to rebuild. You have to take the bulldozer of the Bible and you have to rake everything off of that shaken, cracked foundation and try to rebuild a marriage because trust was destroyed. Because the enemy tempted you, sir, or tempted you, ma'am. And it may not be sex. It may be money. It may be dishonesty. It may be any number of kinds of things that he tempts you and he deceives you and then he accuses you because he doesn't care anything about you. Once he gets you on his side, you're just another one of his stinking stupid minions. And he will do everything in beauty and light and love and an angel. He'll dress up and appear to you. Greek word metaschematizo. He will masquerade. He'll put on a Halloween mask, not of a horned goat looking kind of creature in a red union suit with a pitchfork, but he'll come dressed as the most gorgeous angel you've ever seen in your life. He'll masquerade as an angel of light, something that looks pleasing, something that looks pleasant. And you have to have your discernment on to be able to say, this is not God. So the Holy Spirit will never call you to do something that the Word clearly says you shouldn't be involved in. Come on, I'm preaching real good this morning. I'm not stomping the ground, but I'm preaching. Are you hearing me? So as we end this morning, we take a stand and we take up the whole armor of God. The gates of hell have to be bombarded. The gates of hell in this city, let me identify what these principalities and powers are and then I'm going to close the, ruling, the rulers of spiritual wickedness in high places over the delta are indifference and apathy. We call this the Bible Belt and less than 20% of the population even goes to church and all of that 20% are not saved. We have a mission field here, people. Listen, send the money to Africa, dig some wells. It breaks my heart when I see those flies on the eyes and the faces and the mouth of those little poor little African babies. But you know, we got folks here, right here in this city that are in darkness and they need to hear Jesus. They need to hear the gospel. They need to see the love of God through your life. They don't need to see you roll up a New Testament in a real kind of cool preaching stance and be a Bible thumping, hitting them over the head with truth. You need to speak truth in love. And many times that means we offer them in some kind of gesture and then they open their hearts and then we're able to be able to share the gospel. God takes off the blinders that the God of this age has blinded them with. And He only does that through the power of the gospel. Indifference, prejudice, denominational prejudice, racism. Oh my goodness, there's such a plantation mentality that still exists in this county. It's ungodly. It is ungodly. I grew up in church and I remember when I was nine years old singing as a five, six, seven-year-old red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in His sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. And I saw two deacons escort a fine-looking African-American family 
out of the church that my family was attending when I was nine, and it broke my heart. And I said, what's going on? I mean, I, I was, a, I was a, a warrior for truth as a kid. I, I said, what's up with this? You teach us to sing, they're all precious in His sight, but they can't worship with us in this service? Are you serious? My family left that church over that nonsense. We need to embrace, and as white people, I'm going to make it a little uncomfortable before we say the amen. We need, to, we need to cut with the word of God the sword to our hearts and our minds that for anything makes us think because we're white that we're better than my brown-skinned Latino, my favorite who's amazing down here, my, my, pa, my youth pastor. I'm joking with him. Jeremy, love this guy. Or that we think we're any better than the, the, Af- the black-skinned African-American or the Asian yellow-skinned person. People, if we're going to pull that thing down from the heavenlies, we have to live the opposite to what it's trying to get everybody to live. It's a mentality. It's a mindset. I don't think it's some kind of Frank Peretti-ish, sulfur-breathing dragon, and if you didn't read those books in the 1980s, you know what I'm talking about. I don't think devils are like that. I think they're, they, they're mindsets and mentalities that people get gripped in in an area. And we have to shake that off. We have to take it down. We have to dismantle it. We have to show that the kingdom of God is righteousness. It's just that you come to this house and we will love you and you, we are colorblind. Grace is, swallows up race. Grace is bigger than race. Come on, are you hearing me this morning? Have you got anything out of this message? I need to close. Let's bow our hearts together for a word of prayer. Hear this. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 12, verse 11, they overcame him, that's the deceiver of nations, the accuser of the brethren, by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. Two things. Two things that give you the ability to, to win the battle against your enemy are the blood of the Lamb and the word of your testimony. The blood of the Lamb was slain 2,000 years ago. On the cross, Jesus Christ. The word of your testimony is the active story of the work of the Holy Spirit going on in your life right now. What comes out of your mouth matters. That is the sword of the Spirit. You speak it. You confess the word of God. And I just want to say to you this morning at this close of this message, suited for battle, you don't have a chance. You do not have a snowball's chance in hell to stand up against this enemy unless you are covered by the blood of Jesus. Because without even knowing it right now, you're on the side of the enemy. Jesus is sending spies in right now into the enemy's camp and to absolutely grab you and awaken you as a sleeping, dead-in-spirit person and bring you out of bondage from sin and Satan and sickness and death and all of that stuff and set you free to make you a son or a daughter of the king. He wants to suit you. He wants to put his armor on you because you're not to live like a pauper anymore, but you're to live like a king in righteousness and truth and peace, salvation and all of these things that he has for you. Every head bowed, every eye closed. This morning, I want to say that if you've never crossed that line of faith and said, Jesus, save me, then the blood yet is to be applied to the doorpost of your life and your heart. Those who overcame the deceiver of the nations, the accuser of the brethren, did it by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. The blood of the Lamb is applied to your life when you say, Jesus, save me, I trust you. 
You shed your blood for me in my place. You took my place because there's no way I could ever earn it or deserve it myself. Your grace, your favor. But you've already done it. You've already paid the price. You know what? Once you've done that, then now Jesus' testimony becomes yours. It becomes his word in your mouth. So then you have the two things you need to defeat the enemy. Blood of the Lamb, the word of the testimony. This morning, every head bowed, every eye closed, and I'm finishing. If, if that's you today and you're ready to say, Pastor, I'm at that line of faith this morning and I want to cross that line of faith, would you please pray for me? If that's you this morning in this room, please slip up your hand. I'm not going to call you to the front. I'm not going to embarrass anybody. But I believe the Lord wants to do something in somebody's life. I see there's one hand back there. Yes, I see. Anyone else? Help me back in the back, guys. Okay. So this morning, raise your hand. Make this your prayer. Jesus, save me. I put my trust in you. Thank you that you took my place. You paid the price for me. I give you my heart, my life. Forgive my sins. Fill me with the Holy Spirit. I, I turn from my past. I turn to you. Be Lord of my life in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Pray that. Every head still bowed, every eye still closed. Brothers and sisters in Christ now. You're a new creation. You know if you died right now, you'd be in his presence. You'd be in heaven with the Lord. But if we're telling the truth and we're real, you've got to struggle. It's an area of temptation, maybe even an area of deception. You know, it doesn't have to be sexual. It doesn't have to be financial. It can be all kinds of things. It can be struggling with your identity and who you really are in Christ. Be any number of things. And I don't have to go through a huge long list. You know what it is. God knows what it is, and that's all that matters. If in any way this morning you would say to me, you know what, I know I'm in a battle and I need the strength of God. I need my source to empower me because I've got a battle to fight. If that's you this morning, anybody in this room, slip up your hand right now. Yes, there's half a dozen people, more than a dozen people around the room. In the name of Jesus. Father, we pray for the strength of the Holy Spirit right now to be upon every man, every woman whose hand is raised in this place. Be strong, O Lord, in the power of His might. Your word says that they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Strengthen us by your Holy Spirit today. In Jesus' name and all of God's people said. Put your hands together and give the Lord praise this morning. Come on, somebody. If you made a fresh start today and asked Jesus Christ to be Lord of your life, please take a moment, step back to the fresh start table. We want to give you a free copy of the New Living Translation of Scripture. It's a great, very easily understood copy of the Bible. Would you hand me that orange thing there, Chloe? Thank you, ma'am. For all of our covenant members, our regular attenders, please find your orange give envelope. If you're a guest this morning, thank you for coming. We're not asking you to participate in this as we close this service. This is for our regular folks, our covenant members here at Victory. If you're a guest this morning, you're a member of another local church, your tithe belongs in that church. Please come back anytime and be with us. We'd love to have you. But today, this is for our local folks. As we get ready to sing this last song, Psalm 18, the Bible tells us, if you give me that scripture in, in Proverbs chapter 3, look at this. It says, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the best part of everything you produce. Verse 10, this is it. Then he will fill your barns with grain and your vats will overflow with good wine. He told that to an agricultural society. Now put that in your terms. You may be a songwriter. You may be a salesman. 
So you, you put God first and you trust God. You say, God, I thank you that you're going to bless my territory. Lead me to the people, Lord, that can increase 